Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 13th chapter of the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, found on page 175 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order, listen to my appeal, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter, the very tail end of the book of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, find acceptance in Thee, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's kind of a full morning, so I just want to give you a few observations this morning about the texts that we have for today. Curiously, both the Epistle lesson and the Gospel lessons are from the very tail end of their respective books. We have the very last verses of the Gospel of Matthew and then the final notations from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in his second letter to the church in Corinth, the last writing we have between Paul and that congregation. It is kind of a curious combination because I know that the compilers of the lectionary had no idea that we would be reading these passages at FPCLG's graduation Sunday, right? They had no expectation that on Trinity Sunday we would put that together at the same time. The text just happened to work out that way, and so they are actually prescribed to talk about the Trinity as opposed to our graduates, so I want to do a little bit of both. It probably won't work, but bear with me. Trinity Sunday is an extremely ancient recognition by the church, but it's also kind of an odd recognition of the church because it is the only day in the Christian calendar that observes a theological point rather than an actual event. Christmas, it's the event of Christ's birth. Epiphany, it is the event of the proclamation of the gospel to the whole world. Obviously, Holy Week and Easter are around occasions, things that happened. Trinity Sunday is about what we think about the nature of the Godhead. Its timing always clings to the celebration of Pentecost. Pentecost, the occasion of the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. It's always the 57th day after Easter, Pentecost being the 50th, seven days later being Trinity Sunday. And Pope Gregory the Great created a Trinity-focused set of canticles 
shortly before his installation in the year of our Lord, 590, think about how long ago that was, the thing that we sing after the assurance of pardon was uh, what Pope Gregory had penned. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. As a kid, I always wondered why we honored a Ford vehicle in singing that. Evermore shall be, but oh well. The tune has changed over the years, but the words have been part of the Christian liturgy now for well over 14 centuries. And attaching these affirmations to a particular day in the Christian calendar has been around for well over a millennium. So we come together doing something very odd, very strange. On Trinity Sunday, we double down on a theological point of academic theology. That's the Western Church's articulation of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, which is earlier given in the Nicene Creed from 324 A.D., focusing on the assertion that the Son was begotten, not made, yet co-equal, and of the same substance of the Father, and that the Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. But it's all there in page 34 of your hymnal if you want to play along in the Nicene Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through Him all things were made. Happy Trinity Sunday. There you got it. And I'm not really trying to be dismissive of the theological intricacies that became the bedrock of historic Christian theology. I must say how you conceive of the Trinity or how you observe today's celebration, well, it doesn't exactly float my boat, okay? You maybe get that at this point. It's something that you learn in class, but at the end of the day probably has little impact on how you live your life, which, as you can probably guess, brings us to Graduate Recognition Sunday, uh, that what educated orthodoxy calls commencement. For those who celebrate their graduations today in the past few weeks, you've probably sat through a commencement ceremony. It is called, strangely enough, commencement, that meaning the beginning of things. It is going to commence. It is going to start you're celebrating the completion of something else that you've acquired knowledge or skill or stayed awake in class long enough. You have the culmination of mastery of ideas or skills, but the celebration was not about that comprehension. It was about the start of your life now that you have received that information. By the way, bachelor's degree. Do we, do we have anyone actually celebrating graduating from college here with us today? Now the college grads are all off to internships and finally paying back their parents with kindness and cash. The word bachelor comes from an old French word. It was a bachelor was the person who was training under a knight. Someone who was learning to become a knight in the old French court. Once the training ended, usually, by the way, after four years, the knight would be released, no longer a student, but able to pursue his own knighthood. But he was also 
free to marry. So when we call it a bachelor's degree and we call some single man a bachelor, they both come from that same sense of apprenticeship. You couldn't get married or you would lose your apprenticeship. And so a bachelor's degree is the culmination of training and also an opportunity for the guys to go out and get married. In the old French court, that occasion of the knights releasing their students from their bachelorhood usually occurred in the spring, which also accounts for the June wedding. It is much older than college. It goes back to the Middle Ages when you would celebrate, aha, I am finally a knight on my own behalf and I can take my bride. But I digress. I never do that, do I? Do I? Very seldom do I digress. But my point being is this. Both Trinity and Graduate Recognition Sunday are a commencement of sorts that has to do with the beginnings. Something rooted in the text of Matthew and 2 Corinthians both of which contain the Trinitarian formulation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What ties these things together is their orientation. Future trajectory is the focus. Not looking back on what was accomplished, but looking forward on what is yet to come. Matthew tells us that the newly minted knights of Jesus, the disciples, are told to go and share that faith go and make disciples of all nations teaching them what I have commanded you and Paul also tells his graduating squires agree with one another and live in peace for both the value of the instruction that came before is not found in what the students carry around in their heads but how they now live in the world do they agree with one another Do they live in peace? Do they seek to make new disciples? It was not found in their learning, but in their living. Especially, I would suggest, important in the living of these days. Because you're now being unleashed into a world that is obsessed with ideology and bankrupt in behavior it's full of people who use their so-called knowledge to justify their hatreds and their divisions do I need to give examples I don't think so because there's a problem because if I don't criticize the people that you don't like you'll be disappointed in me you will say Yeah, that's right, Pastor. Those people who we think are just obnoxious, they have too much ideology and not enough love, which is why we kind of hate them. Do you catch the paradox? Do you catch the fact that it is something that we all engage in, that we allow what we have learned to subjugate others who aren't as enlightened as are we? And I don't care if it is a conspiracy or an actual fact. If it is used to create division and a pecking order and even hatred, it ceases to be subservient to the gospel that we have learned. 
Somehow, if you take what you know and it gives you permission to be a jerk, you've missed the point. To hold others in disdain or to work at being disagreeable or to neglect Christ's command to love your neighbor. And guess what? All of your nightly training has been in vain. Or as Paul told the Corinthians in an earlier letter, we are choosing to be fools for Christ. That we would gladly surrender all of our experience, all of our wisdom, all of our insight in order to demonstrate Christ's love to the world. Our knowledge is not given to drive a wedge into our capacity to love one another, to agree with one another, to, as Paul says, to live in peace. The history of the doctrine of the Trinity itself, by the way, is is a really good example of what I'm talking about. No other doctrine has more divided the church through the ages. The way that scholars have articulated the relationship between the Father and the Son and the subsequent proceeding of the Holy Spirit has actually been a reason for people to go to war. How simplistic is that? How sad is that? That the very symbol of divine unity becomes a tool of human division. That never happens today. Does it? Do we ever take what we think we know and use it as an excuse to dismiss someone whom we do know? Like commencement addresses all over the world, Trinity Sunday is an invitation to take what we think we know and subordinate it to how we know we should live. To live with one another in love, in agreement, in unity, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and join with me in the articulation of the faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. 